Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hi, welcome to Future of XYZ. Today, I'm here with Michael Furbish. He is the president and founder of Furbish, which is an amazing company based in Baltimore, Maryland, who does green roofs and green walls, essentially adding this environmental natural element to the built environment. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. So, the purpose of this, you know, conversations is, of course, for people who know nothing about the subject matter X, Y, Z that we're talking about. In this case, what you know a lot about, which are green roofs and walls, to get to know it a little bit better, where we are today and where we're going. And of course, I only know a very little bit about it, so you're the expert here. So, can you first and foremost tell us what green roofs and green walls are? Yes, happily. Well, green, green roofs are essentially putting uh, plants or uh, essentially plants on top of structure, usually on top of building. And in a broad sense, it's putting landscape on top of structure, which is nothing new. We've seen that all of our lives. You know, when you think about going to the uh, plaza deck or the terrace outside the ballroom at the city hotel where you might see large planters and crepe myrtles and various landscaping. Essentially, that's landscaping on structure, which you could call a green roof. But our business is really more of a thin profile, functional aspect of green roofs. Essentially, we're putting uh, plant-based sponges on top of roofs to retain stormwater. So in the, in the broad spectrum of landscaping on structure, structure, we're sort of in this one quadrant of that, which is thin profile green roofs, which are designed to retain stormwater. And just to put that in context, if you think back about the way we built urban structures 40 and 50 years ago, the civil engineering task back then was how fast do we get the water off the building and off the property into a culvert or a stormwater system that would shuttle it to the nearest river, lake, or estuary? You know, Not it was how fast do you move water away from the property? And now the, the thinking about how we should treat our rainwater, stormwater, is how do we mimic nature, which is we ought to be treating it where it falls on the property. So, you know, if you don't have room on the outside of your building to take care of that rainwater in landscaping, uh, typically, if you're in a dense urban environment, you don't have any property outside the building, your building facade comes down to the sidewalk, you're, you're going to replicate that nature on the roof of the building. And so you have a thin profile green roof that is uh, retaining stormwater. 
It's fantastic. It's super interesting. You and and I want to talk about green and walls as well because that's a little bit different. But I'm just curious. What it, you've talked about what civic engineering was doing, you know, back 30 and 40 years ago. We are where we are today. Just from a timeline perspective, when we think about the future of, and maybe you can incorporate green walls into that. But when we're going towards a future, what is the timeline of that next momentous occasion? Do you think is this about? you know, every building will have a green roof? Is this about, you know, uh, being mandated by city planning? What what does the future look like and what's the timeline? Well, it, it's, it's hard to answer that question if you talk about only green roofs. You know, green roofs are one of 10 or 12 techniques to manage stormwater where it lands on your property. I mean, you could, you could handle stormwater impervious pavement in the parking lot or cisterns or bioretention cells, rain gardens, there are all sorts of techniques to manage stormwater. But I think your question is more broadly about where is all this going on what time frame? I tend to think of that as we're one tiny spoke of a wheel where we're thinking about how do we design and construct our buildings so that in one regard, how do they impose the least negative impact on the environment? Although there is a, a, a very profound school of thought that, that that approach is too limiting, that we really ought to be thinking about how do we design and operate our buildings so they are actually restorative to the nature around us. So it's not how can we use the least amount of energy, but how do we make a building generate energy for us or generate oxygen or you know, sequester carbon. How can we how can we make the building environment actually be restoring our natural environment around us? And that's a fascinating point of view. So maybe this whole conversation should in fact be the future of, you know, the built environment restoration uh, of the environment, but it's it's an interesting one. So if you say in the future, that is a potential, whether you're spoke on the wheel among many options or, or otherwise, is the future in fact then regenerative? Is that what we're getting to is a built environment that is regenerative? Well, that's certainly possible. <laughs> Are we getting there on what time frame is a, it's a totally different question from what is possible because now you're introducing economics and politics and the will of people. And so I can't tell you I'm qualified to make a prediction on that. But is it is it from an engineering perspective possible? Yes, and it's actually happening. You can find buildings that are net zero energy consumptive or they generate more, they clean more air than they consume. But these tend to be relatively special projects that people spend an enormous amount of time on. They're not the, they're not the uh, industry standard approach to building yet. Will we get there? I don't know. And I'm not talking about only stormwater and green roofs. I'm talking about energy, air quality, carbon sequestering, the, the, whole, the whole shooting match for which we're just a tiny spoke on that wheel. And you can't really go down that path without starting to introduce things like transportation because transportation is related to the building. You know, it's, so it's, it's, a, it's a big picture for which I'm, I'm, I'm operating on such a tiny spoke of the wheel. 
I think I think your humility is one of the things I really appreciate most about you, Michael. But I think one of the things that's interesting to come back to Furbish and the green roofs and walls, and we'll get to the walls now, that you guys are building and installing and maintaining is in fact this opportunity to be a spoke in this wheel of getting to a better place. So if we're thinking, you've obviously been in business since the early 2000s, there's been quite a, a progression uh, since then and an embracing of this, let's call it technology or, or approach, where do you see it going and what is Furbisher, the industry at large doing to help propel that vision of the future? Well, we're a happy participant. To answer your second question first, we're a happy participant. Uh, and, and more than that, you know, we're an advocate for this movement. But I would say, if I had to describe where this is going, is that as we move further down this path, we start to think of it more as just good design as opposed to special or green or sustainable design. In the grand scheme of things, if it's the right thing to do, it just becomes a good, a good approach without being specially labeled. I mean, you could think of all sorts of examples, but you know, when, when buildings burn down and lives are lost, we've changed, lost, we've changed building codes to have sprinkler systems and more fire retardant approaches to building. And, you know, a few years pass and we don't think about those as being special aspects of building. It's just how we build buildings. We build them safer. And so I think over the long term, the whole approach to green building just becomes this is good design. And if you're not building with regard to human health and preserving or restoring the environment or being considerate of the upstream and downstream impacts on other communities for how you're choosing to build and operate your building, you would be considered not good design. You know, at some point in time, you just wouldn't do it the wrong way. And some of, some of the big catalysts to that, I think, will be the insurance companies. Mm, you know, when, that. You, when you talk about building a commercial building, it's not often those are built without financing attached. And there is no financing without insurance. And when the insurance companies say, you know, uh, uh, climate change is for real. And part of climate change is what kind of emissions of gases you're putting in the environment. And we, we don't want to insure buildings if they're emitting CO2 in the environment or consuming too much energy or have unhealthy indoor air quality. The minute the insurance companies say, this is what we require for you to be insured, then it becomes normal. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. So the future in some, in some small part depends on the actuaries. <laughs> well, it would be a big contributing part, yeah. I think, it, I think it makes a lot of sense, though. There always has to be the, the carrot or the stick, right? And in this instance, we're, we're looking at both, both and. Yeah. It's good. So if I were to just think about kind of what the mandates for success are in this. So we, we, we think about, like, we need carrots and we need sticks. But what are those mandates for success that gets us to this future vision of, of you know, kind of more regenerative building, the green roofs, this, you know, the, the rainwater collection, processing, et cetera. What are the things that are happening or are really necessary to get us there? 
whether that's technological or policy or people? Uh, I'm not sure how to answer that question. What's necessary to get us there uh, mechanically is the economics so that you can build this way and be able to either rent your building, sell your building, you know, uh, sell your house in the marketplace and make a reasonable return so that it's viable from an economics perspective. But that's a loaded, that's a loaded issue because so much of what we do today, we don't recognize the full cost of our impact on whether it's the environment, human health, whatever. And so, you know, we could be, we could have a good ROI on an investment today, but based upon our economic system, we're not recognizing uh, impacts of community health or cancer rates or air quality because it's not, it's not in our economic model today. So, you know, if the economic model stays the way it is today, we answer the question one way. If the economic model changes, you know, for example, if we had a, a carbon credit program nationally or worldwide, it's that's an imposition on the economics of, of, of building or transportation. So when, when those other cost factors start to get recognized, the economic model changes and that changes how fast the overall change takes place. I don't know how to predict when or how or where those things happen. I don't think anyone can. And I think what's interesting, one thing though that can change of course are attitudes within the culture and mm -hmm. within people and the choices that are being made. So when we think about kind of the, the progression since the early 2000s and we go towards a future state that we, we all hope for here, what, what are the things that individuals can do uh, to, to help move us in the direction uh, forward? Well, why don't you ask that question today? They could go out and vote. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? I mean, essentially, essentially, we're voting today on two different attitudes, right? One which has a concern for the well-being of future people on the planet and one that's more interested in how do I, how do I take care of my own situation today, instant gratification in a simplistic way. Uh, but those attitudes are profound. If, if, if we think about the well-being of our children first, as opposed to ourselves, it pushes us in one direction. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so coming back to Furbish and the work that you all do. So green roofs are largely on commercial. Green walls? Well, green walls is totally, it, it's, a, it's a totally different value proposition in that our living walls are predominantly indoor, highly visible. They're, they're a little bit of aesthetic eye candy. There's some drama to them. We see them in lobbies of buildings or in reception areas because they're beautiful. Uh, but they, they do have a profound effect on how people feel when they're inside a building and they do contribute to air quality in a building and these biophilic effects and air quality effects can have really profound effects on worker productivity or human health 
or reductions in absenteeism rates or higher retention rates of employees. Those things have economic benefit that so far outstrip the cost of the living wall that it's if we truly recognize those economic factors like we were talking about before, it's such a no brainer. Now, the flip side of the coin is it's hard to attribute those things solely to the living wall in the lobby. Right. right? There's, there's all sorts of things going on in a building that contribute to that biophilic effect. It's uh, how much natural light coming through the windows, how many potted plants around every floor of the building. You know, the, the living wall, whether it's in somebody's office space or in the lobby of the building, is one component. So it's hard, it's hard from an engineering perspective to draw direct correlations to economic benefit to a living wall. Fair. The economic benefits we know that the living wall contributes to are huge. So we're proud to contribute to that. But when you compare that to the living roof, we can literally calculate how many gallons of rainwater we're, you know, so it's a little bit of a different equation, but it's still very meaningful to the health of the building and the occupants. Which, which is ultimately the, the goal. And obviously, as we were learning during this time of COVID, you know, whether people are in offices or they're part-time in offices or anything else, stress, mental illness, you know, environmental concerns are, are tantamount right now. Uh, and so all of this contributes positively to the future of all of our well-beings, in fact. No question. So that's pretty important. As we wrap up, Michael, I just wanted to ask, is there anything in we think about the future of green roofs or living roofs and living walls that we haven't talked about that you think uh, you'd love everyone to, to know or hear about? Well, I, I would probably push the answer to that question more broadly than just living roofs and living walls. I think, I think at every opportunity, we as a culture, when we find ways to incorporate nature into buildings so that we get the sort of the double benefit of the, the functional benefit of what ecology is giving us, plus the form benefit, we get both form and function the beauty of nature in the building. When we can combine both those things, people like it, occupants like it. You know, rental rates go up or rental timeframes compress because it's a nicer building. And so whether it's the living roof or the bio wall or all sorts of other ways that we might incorporate ecology into the built environment, I, I think we're moving in a direction where people like the buildings that are in more if we do those things. That's 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 pretty golden, by the way. And I'm I, for one, as you and I both know, feel very passionately about bringing nature into everything and respecting it. So if we move in that direction, and that's what the future looks like, it's going to be a much better one than current. Yeah. Well, Michael, thanks so much for joining me today on Future of XYZ. It's always a pleasure to see you. Likewise, you're welcome, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.